Today's Bible reading is from John chapter 19, verse 17 to 42. So they took Jesus and he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write, the King of the Jews, but rather, this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son, then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since, since it was the day of the preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they may be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other that had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows what he, that he is telling the truth, that you may also believe. For those things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled, not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier came to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. 
So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial customer of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new term, in which no one had yet been played. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. How's it going, everyone? Uh, very good to see you all and to be here. Uh, it's pretty interesting. I was realizing on the way here, I reckon it's close to 18 months since I've been here for a church service. So super good to be back. Uh, and it's really good like, to finally see how much this church has grown. I've been hearing heaps about it. Um, so yeah, it's just really good hearing all the ministries that like, I don't think you guys had half the ministries that Joe was talking about when we were here before. So it's really good. Everything's growing. Obviously, uh, Rob, I just saw Rob two moments ago. Um, he, you know, new elder. Everything's going good. Levi's mullet's even growing, which is pretty good. It's, just, it's, all, it's all just growing here. It's awesome. Well, look, uh, the sermon that I'm preaching or the passage I'm about to preach on um, is usually a passage that is only preached sort of around uh, Easter. Uh, and that actually kind of annoys me because I think, I think this is sort of one of the most important passages uh, in the Bible. And I think it's really important to reflect upon it uh, more often than we do. So that's why we're going through it. Um, so yeah, but before we get into that, uh, we can't really seek to achieve anything without God's help. So why don't you join me as we pray, and then we can make a start. Dearly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather here as your people uh, and reflect upon what it is you have done for us uh, through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we just pray that you'll be with us now. Uh, please allow us to put aside any uh, pressures or distractions uh, from the week that we've had or the, the upcoming week and help us now to instead fix our eyes on you with clarity uh, and, and please just open our ears, our minds and our hearts to be able to receive what you say in your word. And we pray all this in your heavenly holy name. Amen. Um, look, I want to start this morning off a little bit differently. I wanted to start off with a bit of a question, uh, and it's rhetorical, so everyone's relaxed. Uh, but the question is, what brought you here this morning? Right, what was the reason for you coming uh, to church this morning? What, what brought you here? Uh, and look, realistically, there's a whole bunch of answers to that question, and none of them are necessarily wrong. Uh, probably the most obvious is you always come to church on Sunday morning, and that's great. That's fantastic. You always come here. Perhaps you're visiting. Maybe it's the first time. That's also fantastic. Uh, perhaps you're a bit of a comedian, and you thought, well, Will, car brought me here this morning. Uh, and, you know, that's great. I love a, love a dad joke on a Sunday morning. But I am going to make the assumption that at least most of us didn't think when we woke up now, I'm going to go to church because 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. I don't think many of us would have thought that uh, 2,000 years ago, uh, a singular event took place that has totally changed and determined the entirety of my life. Uh, 2,000 years ago, uh, a king, uh, an innocent and an ultimate king, died uh, for his people 2,000 years ago, there was an ultimate act of love. 
Uh, don't worry, I didn't think that either before, uh, before writing this sermon. But uh, that is what the cross is all about, right? It's, it's what makes Christians Christians. It's what the whole Bible up to it is pointing towards and everything after is pointing back at. And like the temptation for me to come up here uh, and, and sort of like tell you how we, we overlook the cross and, and keep going on about uh, how we don't have to spice it up and, and change angle and, and refresh things. But if you believe what I just said about it a moment ago, how important it is, well, then I'll just be telling you something you already know. So this morning, uh, we're just going to go through a passage uh, and, and we're hopefully going to be encouraged and reflect upon uh, what actually happened 2,000 years ago and, and what Jesus did for us uh, at the cross on our behalf. Um, and look, we're going through John's account of the cross, and, and one of the key purposes of the entire Gospel of John uh, is to show us who Jesus is, right? It's to sort of reveal his identity and the characteristics about him. So hopefully by the end of this, uh, we can have a greater understanding of who it actually was uh, that went to the cross for us. Uh, Where we're going to start here in in verse 17, uh, which reads, uh, So they took him to the place of the skull, and between two others there they crucified him. And straight off the bat, something you you sort of notice is how little detail John actually gives to Jesus' crucifixion. right? And in fact, most of the Gospels do this. They don't really talk about uh, the long process of, of him being crucified and nailed and put up onto the cross. Um, and I think like an obvious question is why? Like why not talk about the suffering that Jesus endured in detail on our behalf? Uh, and, and the reason is, is uh, because John doesn't want us to lose sight of what he's been telling us the entire gospel. Uh, and that is that Jesus uh, is in complete control of what's happening here. Uh, Jesus is going to the cross willingly on our behalf. This isn't sort of something that's uh, unforeseen or, or uh, you know, suffering that came out of nowhere or a plan that's gone wrong. Uh, Jesus uh, is going to the cross uh, with full authority and with, and with sovereignty willingly for us. And this isn't something that's like out of the blue. It's something we can observe all the way through the gospel. And even, even back in uh, John 10, we can see that uh, Jesus says this. He says, uh, For this reason the Father loves me, uh, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. So I think sort of the first thing we need to know about the cross is this is all part of God's plan. This was intentional and and Jesus going there willingly. And we could sort of see this unfold and and get more clarity with the details that follow in verse 19 uh, to 21. We're told that Pilate uh, has written above uh, Jesus on the cross, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And you know, just to clarify, like Pilate doesn't actually believe that Jesus was king of the Jews or, or, or king at all. Uh, he's just written this because in the previous chapters, uh, the Jewish leaders, the chief priests, have caused some problems for him. So he's just trying to get back at them uh, by writing this, right? He's, he's just trying to embarrass them. Uh, but in, 
In his attempts to do so, he actually gives Jesus the most fitting title. Uh, and it's more than just King of the Jews, as we sort of go on. It's written King of the Jews, but, but we're told that it's written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek, uh, which means that anyone, whether they're Jewish, Roman, or any, any other culture, anyone that could have read, would have read, that Jesus was king. You know, back in Genesis 12, God promised Abraham that through him, the entire world is going to be blessed. And I think that's what we're meant to read when we look at the cross here. Uh, that yes, Jesus is from uh, Abraham. He is king of the Jews. But what he is about to accomplish on the cross is for people of all nations. Jesus is going to the cross willingly and with authority. And that despite what it might look like, despite that uh, he's crucified between two uh, uh, criminals, that he's dying a sinner's death, he's doing so as the promised king and messiah of the world. Uh, which kind of makes us question, right? I think like this is an, an illogical question to, to ask. But what kind of God... Uh, sends the king, and more so his son, to die. Uh, but that brings us to John 19, 25 to 27, uh, which I think are just some of the greatest verses in the entire Bible. Uh, I think what adds to it is people overlook this, because you know, on one side of it, you kind of have Jesus being crucified, and on the other side, uh, he dies. Um, and I'm going to reread it, and we're going to talk about it. But, uh, Firstly, I think something that we kind of struggle with as Christians uh, is, is really understanding um, God, right? In the sense of, uh, you know, when we're talking about God, then we're talking about the Son of God and, and then Him dying for us. It's kind of hard just to comprehend what that is, right? And that's just due to the nature of God Himself. He's so infinite and, and immeasurable that we can't really compare Him to anything. But that's why I love these verses so much. And when you kind, of, you kind of look at it and you sort of grasp it, you kind of get a real, real amazing understanding of what's going on. So let me read uh, verse 25, 27 again. It says, uh, But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, uh, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Uh, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, which is John, Standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. You see, at this point uh, in the passage, right, at, at this point in time, Jesus has been tortured. Right? He, he's been beaten, and in Luke's account, so badly that he can't even make it to the cross on his own. Uh, a crown of thorns has been pressed into his scalp. Uh, he's been whipped, he's been bashed, he's been spat upon, ridiculed, uh, shamefully stripped naked in front of the entire crowd for everyone to see. And now, as, as an innocent man, he's had his arms and feet nailed to wooden boards. Uh, he's been lifted up 
upon the cross. Uh, His arm socket stretched out and frayed. Uh, Every breath that he takes is a struggle. Uh, Every time he wishes to speak, he needs to press upon the nail in his own foot to be able to lift up his chest. Right? And by this point, he's now feeling uh, the full weight of the world's sin upon his shoulders. Moments uh, from his own death, experiencing the most excruciating physical and spiritual trauma. Whilst all of this is taking place, uh, Jesus, the almighty king, is, just wants to make sure that his mum is going to be okay without him. I mean, if you want to talk about the essence of love, if you want to talk about complete and pure selflessness, if you want to talk about the one that does all things for the good of his people, well, then here he is. And when I read verses like this, I get reminded of of, um, parts of the Bible like uh, Hebrews 12.3. Uh, which reads, when talking about the Son, we're talking about Jesus, it says, uh, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So, I mean, I, I don't know half the people here, but like, if you've ever doubted or, or questioned if God loves you as much as he says he does, uh, if you've uh, ever been in a situation, maybe you are in a situation where you're starting to lose sight, things aren't clear, so and think, well, you know, I don't know if God actually has everything figured out for me. I don't know if he has everything uh, the best installed for me. I don't know if he knows what's good for me. Well, here is God humbled by the flesh and, and, and confined by the body. Uh, in the most important and, and darkest moment in history, looking after his mum. So imagine how much more he cares about you now that he is glorified. Imagine how much more he cares about you now that you are eternally united with him, now that you are part of his heavenly, everlasting family. See, this is the kind of God that allows his son to die. Right? A good God, a God of love, and more specifically, a God that loves you. Uh, which leads us to our, our next and, and final point, uh, verses 28 through to 42, uh, which shows us the, 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 the climax, the, the end of the greatest good, the greatest display of love. In verses 28, 23, uh, where Jesus, knowing that all is now finished after receiving sour wine uh, and, and fulfilling another scripture, he says, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. In the climax of the cross, before he dies, Jesus cries out that it's been completed. Right? And these are some of the, like, the, the weightiest words you read you know, in, in the entire Bible because in this moment, so much has actually been completed. Right? You know, directly, Jesus' own earthly ministry is finished. He's finally done what he came here to do. Uh, but bigger than that, 
This is the completion of God's salvation plan for humanity. Uh, and a salvation plan that he promised all the way since uh, Genesis 3 in the fall of the garden. Because up until this very moment, uh, the entirety of humanity has been subject uh, to sin and, and to death, right? And that's what majority of the Bible is all about, right? What, what the Old Testament shows us, one of the main things, is kind of just how garbage we are, right? It just, just kind of shows us how... Uh, how bad we are and how we can't do anything to save us, save ourselves. And that is due to our, our rebellion, our turning away of God and, and, and our sinful nature. But all that's finished in this moment. You know, all, all of that uh, has been completed and it's only through the ultimate sacrifice and the ultimate act of love by Jesus Christ, the Son of God, uh, in his own power, uh, laid down his life to save us. I kind of think sometimes we lose sight of that. You know what I mean? Like we, sort of, we can sort of think about the cross and what Jesus does, and we're sort of just like, yeah, you know? Like we, don't, we don't actually think about what has taken place here and just how like, amazing this is. Right? Because we were destined to die. We had no hope. Uh, we were bound to a deserving judgment and the eternal punishment that accompanies that. And, you know, you hear a lot of people say the phrase, uh, you know, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, uh, Jesus Christ is the upside-down king of the upside-down kingdom. Uh, and that is a great phrase, right, because uh, it captures how Jesus saves us, right? It comes down not as a mighty sort of warlord conquering everything, but as a humble servant. Uh, that lays down his life. So it's a great phrase, but I, the thing that we miss in saying it, I think, is Jesus' kingdom isn't upside down because it's a little different to how we do things here. It's upside down because we were the wrong way up. Right? It's upside down because by nature, we were enemies of God. Uh, we were opposed to him. Right? We're like a car that when you press the accelerator, it goes in reverse. You know, it's, like, it's, a, it's a funny picture, but it actually kind of captions what, what we were like, right? Uh, we were broken. No one would want us because we do the complete opposite of what we were intended to do. Uh, but God, in his mercy, sent his son to save us. I think what makes verse 31 and 32 stand out so much is the, the irony that you can't unsee. Uh, that the chief priests uh, asked for the bodies to be broken in order that the deaths be sped up, uh, so that the land and themselves wouldn't be uh, desecrated on the Sabbath, which was fast approaching. So that uh, they would be ready for the Passover feast. The thing is that they don't actually realize that the true Passover lamb, the true sacrifice of God, has just been made. And John wants us, in sort of these remaining verses, he wants, us to, make, he wants to make that clear to us, uh, that Jesus actually died here. Right? That's sort of what the rest of this passage is all about, uh, and, and what it wants to show us. Right, The soldiers come up to break his legs, but... Even in his death, Jesus continues to fulfill 
uh, what's foretold about him because he had already died, right? So they left him unbroken and instead pierced his side with a spear. And then blood and water flows out of him. And then John goes on to tell us that the soldier who stabbed him, who now appears to actually be a follower of Christ, he says that he was definitely dead. And it kind of makes sense, right? Because like, that was the point of a crucifixion. It was to kill people. You didn't just crucify someone as like a light punishment. The whole point of it was that person died. And further, like, you know, these, these Romans, that's what they do. They're, they're part of an execution team. That's what they do, and they, they do it all the time. Look, I don't know if it's much of a surprise to you, but there's actually a lot of debate about what organ was pierced on Jesus' side. Some people say it's his heart. Uh, others say it was his lungs or somewhere between the ribs. But regardless, you don't actually need this detail, right? Like... This is how they killed people. This was the whole point of the crucifixion. And then further, you know, majority of the people that witnessed it, the chief priests, or at least the people in power, the chief priests, the Romans, they had very good and profitable reasons to make sure that he was dead. And then finally, uh, in verses 38 34, we can further see that this is the case, that Jesus' body, uh, after being taken down from the cross, was laid within a tomb. Joseph Arimathea and Nicodemus prepared his body as a dead person uh, with the traditional Jewish customs, and they left the tomb in the garden uh, close by from where he was uh, crucified. Uh, And, you know, in, in the later passage, obviously I haven't got time, uh, he, he doesn't stay dead, right? He, he rises again from the tomb. But just, you know, a summary, John is showing us that Jesus actually died. And Jesus actually died for you 2,000 years ago, right? Despite what people might say, you know, like people like to come up with a whole bunch of conspiracies about what took place on the cross, but... What these last sort of verses is just trying to tell us is just how illogical it is to think that he didn't die here. He did. And he died for you. So, like, don't let the world take that away from you or, like, cheapen that reality from you. And also, don't take it away from yourself either, right? Because, again... I don't know all of you, and I don't know what your week was like, and maybe when Joe prayed, maybe you reflected and you thought, man, I'm pretty bad at this whole Christian thing. But, you know, it's good that we recognize that we make mistakes and we, we mess up and maybe we're struggling with a particular sin. But our feelings and, and, and our own actions, right, they're not, they're not concrete, right? They change. But what Jesus did 2,000 years ago is unchanging. That's eternal. So hold on to that. Don't let anyone take that away from you. Well, look, to close, uh, what can we take away from the cross? What can we take from God's ultimate act of love? Uh, how do we respond? Well, I think quickly, just to point something out, sort of what my question alluded to at the beginning, is probably just think about this more. 
right? Pray actually dwell on the reality of what Jesus did for you. You know, as a response, uh, and, and, you know, so as further, read, read these passages, right? Like actually dwell on it and realize every single day, remember that you are purchased by the blood of Christ. And look, if you're not a Christian here today, you know, you've heard what Jesus has done. Well, just know that uh, Jesus died and, you know, he hasn't just given salvation to everyone, but he's offered salvation to everyone. So please come to him, right, uh, and, and recognize that you are a sinful person who, who needs saving. And if you want to speak about that more, you're not too sure what that looks like, then come speak to me afterwards. Uh, but look, you know, I'm not very good at giving like practical application. These are kind of like very broad things. So I will leave you with uh, someone who is very good at application, and that's Jesus, um, and, and a command that he gave. And I think it's a, a very good uh, response to the cross that, that we can do right now uh, and, and should do every single uh, day of our lives. Uh, it comes from John 13:34, and it reads, uh, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You, are, you also are to love one another. So knowing how much Christ has done for us, I think an appropriate response is to start uh, by, by treating and loving each other um, the way that he has. Let me pray. Dearly Father, Thank you for uh, what you have done for us through your son. Thank you for uh, the ultimate act of love that was displayed upon the cross. I always pray, pray that uh, we will continue to reflect on that, that that would dwell on our hearts, uh, and as a result, that we would represent you in our lives uh, for your honour and glory. And we pray all this in your heavenly holy name. Amen.